This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. 48 hours in a COVID-19 ward and how spring cleaning can help us get through being cooped up at home. I'll talk to the star of the big downsize. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The older you are, the more likely you are to be worried about your health during the COVID-19 crisis. A Stascan survey found more than 58% of respondents over the age of 75 were very or extremely concerned about their own health. Only 28% in the 25 to 34 age range shared the same concerns. They were more worried about paying the bills. The older group was also a lot less likely to have visited the grocery store in the previous week and more likely to have used a delivery service. Toronto's Vision Zero road safety team and the TTC may want to check out what's happening in Milan. The Italian city has just introduced Europe's most ambitious road plan to reduce car use after COVID-19. Under the current lockdown, traffic congestion dropped by as much as 75%, lowering air pollution and collisions. This summer, the city will transform 35 kilometers of streets into bike lanes, pedestrian space, along with reduced speed limits. Many large cities around the world are currently working on their post-pandemic transport recovery plans. The number of women accusing Winnipeg fashion mogul Peter Nygaard of drugging and sexually assaulting them over five decades has jumped from 10 to 46. The 78-year-old has repeatedly maintained his innocence, but stepped down as chairman of his eponymous company after police raided his offices in February. People magazine's 30th anniversary beauty issue will feature 74-year-old Goldie Hawn, her daughter Kate Hudson, and granddaughter Rani Rose Fujikawa on the cover. It's the first time three generations will be the cover feature in the 30-year history of the special issue. Hahn says she's getting through the COVID-19 pandemic with meditation and staying safe indoors along with her partner of 37 years, Kurt Russell. Seventy-four-year-old Itzhak Perlman is sharing introspection and music during these long days of self-isolation. The Israeli-American violinist, conductor, and music teacher who's active on social media posted a lighthearted video pointing out the subtle differences between compliments and comments. Of all the concerts I've ever heard you play, tonight was one of them. Or my favorite, of all the pieces I've ever heard you play, this was the most recent But Perlman stressed the importance of compliments for artists and musicians during these difficult times. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines 
from around the world. We've all viewed chaotic and horrific scenes from hospitals overwhelmed with COVID-19 in places like New York, Italy, and Spain. But what's it like here? Tom Jokic spent two days in an Oshawa coronavirus ward while waiting for his test results. We spoke a few days after he was discharged to his home. What happened is I actually never really believed I had COVID. I thought I had probably pneumonia or uh, bronchitis. And I went to the Port Perry Lake Ridge Hospital um, because that's where I went in January when I had pneumonia. I'm very susceptible because I have no spleen, so my immunity, my immunity is quite low. And so I went there, and after checking me out, um, I did seem to have pneumonia symptoms, but those also coincide with a few of the symptoms of COVID. And because of the crisis, they couldn't be too sure or too, uh, you know, um, they, you know, they wanted to be extra uh, careful with my situation. And so they thought the best place for me would be the COVID unit at Oshawa Lake Ridge Health. What symptoms were you experiencing? I was experiencing a fever and a bit of a deep cough. Now, I have a cough regularly because of my asthma. And so it's something that is, you know, kind of a, uh, a, a normal thing for me, but it just got a little deeper and, it, you know, it, it wasn't pretty. So, and um, let me see, I, I didn't really have shortness of breath, but my breath was a little bit more labored. But again, that was my, that was my um, experience with asthma. So I, it, it seemed a familiar case of, uh, of um, pneumonia, considering I just had it a few weeks earlier. Are you telling me they did not have a COVID test in the hospital? Yes. They did have a COVID test in the hospital, but it takes 24 hours to get a, to get a, uh, a, 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 like a report, whether it's um, negative or positive. And so it, uh, so in that time, they couldn't just kind of leave me either in Port Perry and they didn't want it, uh, they didn't want me to go home because in the case that I had COVID in my condition, I would have deteriorated too fast to be able to react properly. What happened then? They decided to send you to Oshawa. Uh, how did you get there? And what happened when you got there? So when I got there, of course, you know, I had a lot of hesitation about going there. But what I did is, uh, what they did is they put me in a, in a uh, on a stretcher, they put me in the ambulance and they took me there. And they took me directly to my room. Um, there was no waiting for a room. And what happened is, the longer I was there, it was odd, but the safer I felt because I could see that, first of all, the room, visibly anyway, was very, very clean and well looked after. The staff was a minimum number of people coming in to see me. So essentially, in a 12-hour period, I would have one doctor seeing me and one nurse. There was no extraneous uh, medical staff coming in to see me. Even the people bringing me my meals, was that person was my nurse. And even the things that they brought my food on were all uh, disposable, including the tray, which was made of styrofoam. So they took such extraordinary precaution to keep me um, to keep me safe. I believe my room was a good sized room, but there was I was the only bed in it, which is, makes sense. And then there was kind of an airlock or an ante room between my room and the hallway, and that's the room in which the medical staff would he, would get changed to come in to see me. And so they would put on their full um, personal protective equipment, and then they would come in and see me, and then when they would leave, 
they would remove it in that airlock and go out to the hallway. So nothing came in from the hallway into my room and nothing left my room into the hallway. What sense did you have about what was going on in the hospital when you were there? Once I kind of had gotten to know the staff a little bit, particularly one nurse in, in particular, and her name is Barbara Ann, and I, I said to her after a while, we, we had just been talking a little bit, and I just said, what's it been like here? And she said, at first, it was terrible because, because the place was full and, and patients were dying daily, like several patients every day. And she, she said, I lost so many of my patients and it was heartbreaking. And, and you could tell she really felt it. But you would not have known that she had gone through such trauma in the way that she interacted with me initially because she just was such an upbeat person and very professional and so knowledgeable. That's one of the things. And so, but what she said is that eventually it turned into a situation where it was much more under control in the ward and there are 20 beds in that ward and seven of them were, were occupied when I was there. So that tells you how much it was, uh, it was under control. So what is your conclusion from all of this? It shows, you know, first of all, clearly I'm, I am happy that I tested negative and I do have a battle ahead with pneumonia, but it's, you know, I'm three days into the, um, into the treatment for that. And I, and I'm assuming that within two or three more days, I'll feel quite a bit better, but I'm not bad. But most importantly, and, and, and the point I think I have been trying to make when I've been speaking to people is that the so. What we've been doing as a society to social distance is now showing up in our medical facilities. It's clear that that in a twenty unit in a twenty bed unit, when only seven of the beds are being used, that that's kind of a victory, right? Almost all of my friends have said, "Is it chaos in there?" And there was not one moment of chaos that I saw at that particular hospital. It was kind of comforting to know that these pe- these people are there, and despite the things that they've that they've witnessed, they are still fully dedicated and fully capable of handling this. Tom, I wish you a fabulous and full recovery, and and thanks so much for sharing your experience with us. Thanks, Libby. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. That was Tom Jokic describing his experience in a COVID-19 ward in Oshawa. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review, coming up. It's that time of year when we take on spring cleaning. And now that we're all spending so much more time at home, there's no excuse for avoiding the task. And the experts say it will actually make us feel better in self-isolation. I got some tips from the star of The Big Downsize, professional organizer Jane Veldhoven, who helps retirees and moving couples downsize their homes and live with less. I'm thinking in this time of self-isolation that uh, decluttering and organizing, I think, is really helping uh, people to have a sense of control when everything else feels out of control. How so? I think what happens to us during the normal course of our busy lives and activities is that, you know, we have a ton on our plate, we, we come home, we shove things wherever we can find a place for them, and then, of course, we're leaving again. We're not sitting face-to-face with our belongings, which now we are. 
And a lot of my clients over the years have said to me, after the exercise is complete, now I feel in control of my environment because I know exactly what I have, I know exactly where it is, I know exactly how it got there, and I know exactly how to keep it organized. I'm also imagining that now that we're all at home, we need less stuff. I mean, certainly less clothing, and uh, it's probably a good time to decide what you may not need or want ever again. Yeah, you 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 make a very valid point, and 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 I'm hoping during this time of reevaluating all of the things that we have that we're as we move out of this and go forward, we're going to think more about why am I buying the things that I'm buying, uh, where am I buying the things that I'm buying, how did these items um, get to me, as in you know where are they manufactured, where are they processed. Um, and how, how much of the earth resources were consumed as a result of making this product and then it coming into my home. Um, and, and I'm hoping as we consider all of those things that perhaps we do buy less. I'm going to ask you to help me. So uh, I finally went into my office, as I have done many times, uh, to try to clear up the clutter. And what usually happens is mostly I have to get through a lot of paperwork and put it in the correct folders, and then it just piles up. So I get partway through it, and I can't take it anymore, and then I just leave and close the door and don't go back there until my husband bugs me again. Yes, I've heard that story many, many times, as you can imagine. And you know that managing paperwork is everybody's least favorite task. Except for me, of course, because I love organizing papers. If you ever want that space to maintain its level of organization, there are sort of, I think, several missing pieces um, for most people because you don't want to do it in the first place. So you start with great flurry and then you run out of energy and you get bored. You have to finish it 100%. You have to get through everything. You have to eliminate everything you don't need. So that's kind of step one. And then you have to set up a system for paper where every day when paper comes into your home, it has a place to go. And then, of course, lastly, you have to keep purging on a regular basis. Okay. I know. It sounds fun, right? <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds fun, and good luck with that. I'm, I'm, personally, I'm, I'm a lot better with, with keeping my uh, clothing organized. I have to say this morning I'm running late. And looking through, it don't have great lights on the shelves, looking through yeah. the 20 black T-shirts <laughs> to find the one with long sleeves. I mean, it was, you know. <laughs> and I, I would hesitate to guess that you enjoy clothing more than you do paper. <laughs> um, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Therefore, you're more motivated to keep your clothing organized. And there are other things. There are some things that just in principle bother me. I mean, we have a hard time getting rid of books. We've started to uh, if we've read them, and also pictures. It really bothers me to get rid of pictures of people. I mean, and and how do you get rid of them? Can't even count how many people in the last few weeks since this all started have said to me, I'm going through my photos, because I always meant to do it and and never did, and here I am, um, and it, it keeps me busy. And my aunt even called me and said, oh, you know, I have all these pictures of these random family members, and I'm not sure who they are, and do you want them, and and what should I do? It almost feels like you're throwing away the person when uh, yeah. you of a photo. I know. You know, my plan of attack usually for photos is sort them into categories, get rid of the ones that are doubles or triples, get rid of the ones that are 
really poor shots and then keep the rest in, in an organized system. Any other tips for downsizing at this time? You know, one of the things that is a bit of a hindrance at this specific point in time is that we can't take the items that we wish to donate to a charity because most of them are not open and they're not accepting anything. So what I'm suggesting to people is that they're setting up an area, which I like to call a green zone, which means green, it can eventually go, and put things in bins or bags, put a big donation sticker on them, and maybe even write the date that you put them into the container so that you know how long they've been around for, and then place them in a basement, a garage, if you're in a condo or apartment building um, in your storage area, and then, um, you know, hopefully within the next short period of time, we'll be able to um, take them to charities who will need them. I will try to put your tips into practice. Thank you so much, Jane. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. The Big Downsize premieres Monday, April 27th at 9 p.m. on our sister station, Vision TV. You can find it on Rogers Channel 60, Bell TV 1161, and Bell 5 1213. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.